Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. My guest is an award-winning horror author and screenwriter. One of her six novels, The Promise Keeper, won the, and I kid you not, Golden Stake Award for Literature. Here with her novella screenplay combo, The Black Hole. Give it up for L. Marie Wood. That was like the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking time out to talk to a perfect stranger. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) Do I want to get into it now or not? You know what? The Golden Stake Award. How awesome is that? When did you find out that such a thing exists? And then how'd you feel when you won it? I don't know how I found out. Because it sounds like you can't believe that's a real thing. And I'm just like, no, but it really is, right? Let me think about that. I think I just started doing like the festival circuits for my screenplays. And in that, like I had written a couple of screenplays and I was looking around saying, you know, I should probably maybe, you know, submit for some literary stuff because I do write novels. I just happened upon it. It was like, initially, I think it was for film. I, I want to think that it was because of film, but then I saw the golden stake and it's called the golden stake. So I'm like, let me see, really, that can't be real, <laughs> right? And they have a silver stake and then they have, the, that's for second place. And then I'm like, okay, show me the golden one. And they didn't show it. And so I'm like, oh, but I, I think they really mean it. <laughs> so I'm like, let me see, let me see. Cause at minimum, if I get in and can get far enough, I'll be able to see somebody win this thing. That was literally my thought. And then when they called my name, I'm like, wait, me? <laughs> and then when they showed me, and it was the very first award of the whole night. So it's not like they were sitting on stage and you could see it. You know, it was nothing like that. And this thing happened in London. So I left the U.S., went to this, you know, went over there, watched a couple of uh, presentations, had a really great time for days before this thing happened. <laughs> and I was trying to catch a glimpse of it somewhere. It was nowhere. So the, for the novel was the very first award and it was me. And I'm like, me? And when they brought it out, I was like, holy cow, it's re- it has blood on it. <laughs> that was like part of my acceptance speech. I was like, do you guys see this cool thing? Now I'm holding it like I'm about to kill somebody. It was great. It was like awesome. I couldn't believe it. Like, I still am not over it. I. I look at it. It's not like in a case. It's out so I can take it because I, I threaten people with it. And I'm always like, don't bother me because you see what. And I'm supposed to be, I can't decide, am I the vampire or am I the vampire hunter? Because if I want to use the stake, I have to be the hunter, right? And I threaten people with it. So I just kind of assume I've morphed into that. But yeah, it's, it's I love that thing. I can't even tell you. I just, <laughs> I love that thing. They didn't know they were handing me a toy to play with all the time, but they did. I'm just thinking how I would respond to that thing. On a bad day, as somebody, you know, was giving me a hard time, like, you know what? I have a golden steak at home. Mm -hmm. Do you? Call it a day. 
don't don't and I kept saying to them it was funny because you know you win this thing and you you know you have a, there's this huge after party like it's sometimes it's like really amazing when you see like your work being celebrated you know so there was a big party for the winners that night and there was this great performance art thing that was bloodier than anything I ever write because it was vampires it was just you know it was really bloody and fantastic and I'm just sitting there with the other Golden State winners for different categories and we're just kind of like wow that's more than wow <laughs> but at the end the next day we were on a tour and I said um you're not sending that home with me right because I'll never get that through customs and there was a person who was a couple other people from different countries who were like yeah don't we're not taking it right you're sending it so they were like yeah, of course we're sending because it. it has blood on it I'm like it obviously it's paint but I don't want to be asked anything Right. I, I probably shouldn't have led with that. Oh, well. <laughs> it's downhill from here, folks. <laughs> Before we get into the six questions, where would you like to be found on the Internet? Well, let's see. If you just want to, like, go and find out more about my work, the best place to go is my website. That's elmariewood.com. If you just want to chat and hang out or hear what I think about certain movies, find me on Twitter. Most of the time, that's probably where I do most of my random musings. I also have a Facebook group. So it's facebook.com slash Wood. And on Twitter, it's Wood the number one. I'd love to know who the other Marie Wood is. And we can have a conversation about how that really should be me. On March 15th, your latest project, The Black Hole, is a novella screenplay combo with two different tales in the same universe, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Regale us some tales and entice us to empty our wallets. <laughs> You're cracking me up today. Now, you know, it's interesting because I wrote the short story first. It's, it's an interesting story. I mean, it's, one, it's different from my other writing. I mean, I'm a psychological horror author. Let me just say that. So that doesn't mean when I say that, like I mentioned, the show was quite bloody because I don't write a lot of blood. There's some blood, right? But there's not like, Blood's not the first thing you think of when you think about psychological horror. So the black hole follows along that line, but it's even at the same time, psychological horror does play a lot in someone's mind. You know, like, what are they thinking? Is it real? And I like to play with the supernatural in connection to that. The black hole is more realistic. It's like a realism-based story. And sure, there's little snippets of, you know, do you, are you really seeing what you're seeing? But the story is truly based in real life and a real life happened. So I don't write like that a lot. So I guess, that, you know, when I wrote the short story and it's not short for me, like uh, when I write short stories are usually what people call flash fiction, which is just another distinction. I think some of these distinctions are a little silly, but there's micro fiction and there's flash fiction. And that goes up to about 1500 words, flash fiction. And then there's short stories. So I usually stick in the short in the uh, flash fiction area. So my stories are pretty short because I feel like either if you've gotten fifteen hundred to two thousand words, you might as well write this novel, right? I mean, because I you know I write novels predominantly, so I'm used to sort of being lengthy, you know. So I guess it's like a different writing style. It's really like a different part of your brain. But I wrote this short story that was like maybe eleven thousand, twelve thousand words. So that's pretty long for me. But it was an interesting action-based realistic horror that I thought you know that's kind of cool and I enjoyed it and then I let it sit for a little while and I came back to it and said it maybe it's even cooler as a movie <laughs> so I write screenplays 
And I said, well, let's, let's try and see what you can do with this one because it's a realistic based thing. And so the screenplays I write are typically, you know, again, they're hard. They're psychological hard. One, only one of, maybe two of them are like purely psychological hard. A lot of them have action elements and suspense elements. So just to keep the action moving for the viewer. So I figured the black hole might really be a nice one to, you know, see what you can do with. And it came out to being this, this multi-layered still realistic horror, but like the, the tension was just action-packed, you know? And so they're the same story, but they're told in those two different forms. You can, like when sh with short stories, you have the opportunity to describe like the color orange, I don't know if anyone can see this, but the orange behind me, half my wall was orange. So you could describe that shade of orange in a short story and get away with all that. But in screenplays, the wall is orange, move on. You know, you don't, there's not a whole lot of time <laughs> to be talking about the atmosphere. You set it up and then you get into the dialogue and the movement. That's what really propels a, a movie. So they're told differently and they hit differently because of that perspective. The screenplay has been doing pretty well in the festival circuit. So I kept thinking, geez, man, maybe, you know, maybe I should do something with this. <laughs> and so, you know, Mocha was interested, Mocha Memoirs was interested in, in doing this interesting combo because I'm always good for a strange idea. I mean, if you were to ask Mocha Memoirs what I was trying to do initially with it, they, you, you'd, you'd laugh. It's fun, but it was kind of difficult. I don't know, like a feat in publishing. I'm not really sure if it could be done, like literally upside down things. And I'm not really sure if it can be, anything can be printed that way. but. I was just thinking that it might be a unique take. And for people who, who read screenplays, like nobody, only, you know, only people who get ready to shoot something read a screenplay. The world doesn't read the screenplay, but they're missing so much interesting stuff because you can see where the focus is when you're reading a screenplay. You know, you can see, you know, you, you're supposed to visualize something. So I have to write it that way. So you're actually visualizing this thing instead of me hinting around you visualizing this thing. So the story is different. So it's fun. It's just unusual. And <laughs> I'm kind of excited about it. Very cool. Very cool. I'm excited to I'm excited to hear more about I'm to see how it goes and how like who knows, man, see it on the big screen. It's like, I yeah, you know. So <laughs> very cool. That would be great. All right. L Marie Wood, are you ready to answer the six questions? I'm going to try. I feel like it should be a drum roll or something. I got something better. <laughs> Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be an author? And I've read about you talking about writing since you were five and even having horror elements even then. Like, could you expound upon that? How did you get from there to... Yes, I can do this and make money at it. Mm -hmm. How'd you bridge that, that gap? That money part, I never really visualized. Like, I it just didn't dawn on me that you could be paid for doing that. But when I was five, I mean, I wrote this story that is in the family trunk. You know, my mom still has it. And I read it recently, and I still like it. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> and it's... It's scary and it's my kind of scary. So I've been true to psychological horror and quiet horror my whole life. So I knew I wanted to write. I didn't know, know that th that was called being an author or nor did I know that that was called make, you know, you could make a living. I just knew that this is something I wanted to pursue. And my mom is a reader. So she was always having a book, you know, and there's always books on the shelf. And I read Stephen King entirely too early. 
and Ira Levin entirely too early. And I just, you know, I, I used to watch like movies and TV shows and write down the dialogue. And I didn't realize that I was trying to understand the pacing until now that I'm an adult and I think about it, I'm like, oh, I know why. I was. Now I get it because my pacing is, I can remember, here, stop, here, stop, here, stop. And I remember that. And I'm like, well, that's why. And I didn't know I was doing that. So yeah, forever. So I'll say five. I've known I wanted to write. Now, when did I say, let's try to make some money at this or try to get my name out there? I'm, uh, oh, well, early 2000s. No, that's not true. Late 99. No. 1997 is probably when I said, let's try to make some money at this. And in 98, I was published with my first poem. So there we go. Okay. I guess. I, I don't believe I've ever heard, and this is just my own ignorance, the term psychological horror before. Most people haven't. If, if you don't read horror fiction, that's not even true. If you are not a person who says, I'm going to actively watch this horror stuff, then you will automatically think of a slasher like Jason or Michael Myers when you think horror, or you'll think like a home invasion type of fears like this what's the name of that movie the strangers someone pushes somebody in the house and they you know or terrorizing from the backyard or something like that or if you're of a certain generation um nightmare on elm street kind of thing you're going to automatically go to those extremes there's so there's like 37 or so subgenres of horror that don't involve that stuff <laughs> right i know and like so i write psychological horror but that also taps into quiet horror Quiet horror doesn't do as much of the mental part. Psychological horror, my brand of psychological horror does both. And see, there's like that nuance that most people don't even know about. It's a common mistake for people who are not in the genre or don't want to read the genre. They think automatically that slasher stuff. But here's something interesting. Stephen King was before, and I just saw it yesterday, I kid you not, billed as a thriller, Stephen King. And I think we know better now. These genres are all about marketing. I mean, some stuff is extreme horror. Like you, if you've ever heard of the movie series Hostel and Saw, yeah, okay, that's bloody, gory, nasty. That's that stuff. But not everything is like that. You know, you have these quieter movies like the, the quiet, A Quiet Place, very quiet movie, an unseen beast coming. And you literally, and you know, and these people have to be basically have to be quiet to <laughs> avoid the beast, if you will or Cloverfield, things like that. You don't see the monster. And that's the fear. That's just tension. That's suspense. That's highly emotionally, invest. you invest all your emotions into it, but it's not necessarily blood on the page. Like I, I could care less for a lot of blood on the page. I don't, zombies and things like that, they're cool and all, but the true horror is when I don't know what's around the corner or I can't, some ghost is happening and I can't tell if it's really a ghost or if I'm losing it. I could because it could be nobody else sees it psychological horror really plays in that space of you're having a problem maybe it's just you could be everybody else but maybe it's just you question number two what do you wish you had known when you started out you know I was really lucky See, I could easily say, oh, I wish I should have, I wish I had known that I should submit to these venues and not these venues or try to meet these people and not these people. But no, because having done it the way I did it, 
helped me to get to where I am today. I learned so many things along the way that I would not have learned if it had been an easy road, right? So I don't make certain mistakes because either I made them in the past or I'm on the road with somebody and they're making the mistake. And I'm like, oh God, that's what happens if you do that, you know? So, and I don't think that you should not have those experiences because you can tell when a person didn't, doesn't know what, doesn't know that they shouldn't do something because they didn't have to bump into it. They will end up bumping into it later. And it, they could have been saved you know, from it before. So it's been hard, but I don't think you can avoid the difficulty. I remember that my, my first piece, which is crazy because I don't write a lot of poetry anymore, but my very first collection was this little self-published thing that I did. I met with this artist who like, I was a server at the time and he used to come into my restaurant and he would always sketch. And I was like, you know, I write this poetry. Let's get together. Maybe you can write. And he drew these, he'd sit in my kitchen. He would draw these pictures and I would give him the poetry. And it was funny. My husband would come home and be like, wow, how'd y'all done? I'm like, no. And, you know, we would do this. And then we produced 30 books or something. It wasn't even a lot. And I sold them like out of my trunk. Now I know how to get an ISBN number if I ever want to start my own book like publisher, which I don't. But if I ever did want to do that, I know how the, I know what an ISBN number is. I know how to go get it. I know about copywriting. I know about marketing. It's not, and I know enough to know that it changes every day. So whatever. But I know about some of those things about you have to book this and try this and be everywhere and and always, you know, present yourself a specific way and don't forget to have the product on hand. I know some of that stuff now because I did it. So now that I'm not selling out of my trunk, I still have books in my car. Because I mean, you should always have your product on hand. Just because I didn't produce it myself, you know, at the publisher, my publisher handed me some, doesn't mean I don't have it to sell and sign if somebody is like, hey, Elmarie Wood. Well, I was, you know, I can't believe I've met. And that happened, it's happened to me. And it's cleaner. Somebody meets me in a cleaner. They're like, no, I know you. I'm like, mm, okay, we live in the same town, but okay, right? So I'm like, let's do it. And she's like, I want this one. I'm like, no, I got that one it's in my trunk. So <laughs> just, it's different now, but some things stick. Make sense at all? I mean, so I'm trying, this, this is kind of a weak answer to that question, but it's the realest answer I can give. I think I've been, the trek has been good. It's been important. The whole journey has been very, very important. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have any aha moments where something just clicked or had a paradigm shift and things really changed? I feel like I don't know when anything changed. I, I sometimes wonder if anything has changed at all. And I think, to be honest, that's the place you're supposed to be. It's funny because some of the wins will get you a lot of places, but sometimes a loss will get you a lot of places too. And a loss got me a, a multi-book book deal. So I don't have to do, yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. Uh, but I don't have to do some of that legwork that I spent all those years learning how to do, but that doesn't, I mean, but now I have to produce on, on a schedule. So I am always pushing, always writing something, always editing something and then rereading it. And then, you know, the whole writing process for one piece is pretty lengthy for any, any author. So I never think of anything having shifted or changed at all. I'm still in that grind mode. So I don't know. The fact of it is writing for a living is not necessarily lucrative until it is, right? And so I don't, and some people never get to that point where it's totally lucrative. You have to know what your definition of success really is because it may not, you may not end up having 
money to say that you were successful or awards. My goal has always been, I want to scare someone. I want to touch someone with my work. And once that happened, that was a turning point for me. So if I'm going to put my finger on something, it's when someone says to me, that scared me into the night and I wasn't able to go to sleep. And it's happened. So I feel like, yeah, okay. And that propels me into more work because I'm like, good, I scared him with this. Let me try this. You know, I think that if you can stay that way, you'll always be producing and always be working on something fresh because you're, you are not sitting back on your, on your laurels, resting on your laurels. So I don't think anything is shifted. And that's, that's an honest answer. Anyone that knows me knows. I don't even think about that. I can't even see it. I was just an hour ago looking at my, my most recent novel that I'm working on now. And I'm like, you are a third of the way through. Keep bear in mind, it's not due till next year, but I want it done by June. So I'm like, you're not going to miss, you're not going to meet your deadline. Hurry up. <laughs> so that's the mode I'm always in. How did you lose your way into a multi-book deal? I was kind of amazed too, right? We, we went, so I'm in Sycorax's Daughters and there are, I mean, just so many amazing voices. Oh, in that, in that collection. It's a collection of, you know, horror stories from the African diaspora. So never been done before. Groundbreaking thing, right? I was so honored to be in it. So incredibly honored. We got all the way onto the final ballot at the Horror Association Soaker Award. And we're all sitting there, not all of us, but many of us are sitting there in the audience. And we're so pumped because we believed in this work, right? And we lost, we lost. And it was, we were all gracious about it, but it was it crushed us. We were so, <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> we were like, oh no, oh no. But, but still at the same time, it's just an honor to be there. Because the fact is we've had one African-American winner of the, Horace, of the Soaker Award. And that's Linda Addison. I believe only one, right? Yeah, that's it. Just one. And we were next, we thought, but we weren't. It didn't happen. Well, does it matter? Does it matter? Still a fantastic piece that I, I will always be honored to have been in. But that publisher, you know, and this is months later, that publisher had, you know, read all of the work and had been working with them to try and do the editing. And I reached out because my little story kept getting, you know, comments. You know, I'd hear it. And people just talking to me on the street or sending me an email or every now and then I get a review and it mentions my little story by name. So I was like, okay, well, man, all right, let's see. You know, maybe it's time because I had taken some time out of writing, away from writing for like several years. And I was coming back in and I was like, maybe, maybe I'll see if I'll reach out to that publisher because they produced a fantastic volume. It was beautiful. And so I reached out and she says, uh, absolutely. I'm interested in working with you. Cause I, you know, I'll come to you and say, I wonder if, you know, I was this, I did this and the thing and reminding this person about, you know, the work. And, and she was like, yeah, I'm very interested in seeing what you got. She read it and she was like, let's, let's do this though. Let's do it bigger though. <laughs> and so we've been together ever since. So, and that was a few years back. So we've released, I have pictures on my wall. I, I hate that I have to do this, but literally now everything's starting to come out at the same time. Four, I have four volumes from her that are already out. And she and I are working on two, two more this year, three more this year. So we got books coming and it, it's coming off of a loss. That is fantastic. 
you know, and I think that's the thing for real. You have got to make lemons, you know, make lemons, make lemonade out of lemons. You have to, because you can't win everything, right? You just can't. I mean, that's the fact. And I just lost something last night, something I really wanted. I was in a film festival that I lost and I was like, oh shoot, you know, it, but it happens. A couple of weeks ago, I was, it was like, I, I've described this. It's so funny, but it's true. Remember when Michael Jackson won like one year, he won like 15 awards at once and he was just holding them like, I won eight awards in one show. I'm just like, yeah, that made my, that made my whole like life. I don't even have anything to say about losing to one. I tried again, as soon as I lost, I went on and I submitted something else to the same venue for next year's show. I wanna win it, I'm trying. But you cannot win them all, right? Right. So when it, when you get a lemon like that, you got to figure out what you want to do. Let it crush you? Do So because we didn't win that award, I'm going to say, oh, well, maybe my work isn't worth being picked up. Maybe it's not what I think it is. No, no, I believe in myself. So I reached out. Question number three. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? I'm originally from New York, right? But that's not where I live now. So if I'm in New York, I have to go to this restaurant called Johnny's and I have to get, it's just a fried platter with like shrimp and fried lobster and French fries. And then you go get these sauces. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about in a paper cup, right? It's like, like, a, like a gingham pattern, white and red paper cup. You go and you you pay on this side, and you get your soda on this side, then you go to this other place section in there and get all the sauces. And while I don't normally put all this mess on good seafood, I grew up this way. So I eat that the same way all the time. You put all the ketchup, all the cocktail sauce, all the tar sauce, mix it together. Who cares? Stick it all on there. And then you eat it. When I'm in New York, I must have that for real. Now I don't live in New York now, so <laughs> I can't say that, but I'm a Boy, that's a hard question. I'm a big seafood fan, so give me some crab legs and some butter, and I probably love that place forever. Question number four. What are you curious about? In my writing, there is a thread, and the thread is the afterlife. I dive into that. So the Realm series... It's a trilogy. And so the first two books are out. The third one will be out in October of this year. And it starts, the very first book begins with a guy named Patrick who wakes up in the afterlife. He's dead. So the whole story happens and he is dead. And he's navigating this afterlife that doesn't look anything at all like what he was taught. Doesn't look like any religion he's ever heard of. And he doesn't even have time to really think about it good because there's a beast on his heels. He has to run. I mean, this is like the afterlife from hell. You really don't want to wake up in this afterlife. I mean, I just, when I wrote it, I was like, what a terrible thing. Like, I hope it's really not like this. And I'm really making this up. Please let me be you know, playing at author right now and making up some garbage because that's terrifying. The beasts, they are monstrous in this thing. And I, I dove into that idea because I thought, when you think about it, if you ponder life in that way, if you, you know, ever looked at prehistoric man and wondered, so what happened? <laughs> you know, or if you've ever looked into Egypt and said, because oh, I've, I've been to Egypt, I love Egypt, I want to go back. Um, 
I grew up, I was lucky enough to see the, the King Tut exhibit come through New York City. And I went a million times. I just couldn't, I had to go. And when I was older and went to Egypt, I saw it again, you know, in Egypt. And I'm just like, oh, this is the most fabulous thing, right? And I, I mean that, most fabulous thing ever. But then when you get past the glitz of the, the, the glitz of the sarcophagi, if you will, you can look at their deity structure and see that it, it mirrors Catholicism and a lot of other religions. And you got to say to yourself, well, that was way before that. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? You know, um, there's a lot of what ifs if you let your mind wander into that. And it can be, it can be, I don't want to say fruitless, but you, there's no answer. I've not come up with an answer. There's no answer. And so therefore, the curiosity just keeps cycling. And that's where those books came from. And I created something that I really hope isn't real. But what if? Question number five. What should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask? I, just at the end of last year, started something called the Speculative Fiction Academy. And it's an online school, if you will, for creatives interested in learning more about horror fiction, fantasy, science fiction, filmmaking, podcasting, creative writings. It's comprehensive. We've got over 60 classes online now. It's like the grad school that I wish I'd gone to. Like I wish it existed when I was going to grad school. I went to a pretty decent one that had, you know, a, a, an MFA in speculative fiction, but this is like so far beyond that. And it's, it's neat because we have industry professionals here. I mean, we've got publishers, we have academic folks who teach this at, you know, on, like on the ground in person with other students. We have award-winning authors, award-winning filmmakers, you know, it's cool. When I get to take, you know, look at their classes and edit them to put them online, I'm always like, this is the best class. Oh, no, this is the best class. Holy cow, this is amazing. Just so much information. It's like really a wealth of knowledge. And I'm, I'm so honored that the, the professors who have decided to sign on with me and teach, and I'm just so excited to be able to get that information out to the world. I assume you teach horror. Do you teach any other classes? I do. I teach a couple of the horror classes. I teach a couple of the creative writing principles classes. I have taught a film class. I'm kind of everywhere, except I can't teach fantasy and science fiction because I don't know anything about fantasy and science fiction. <laughs> I can't. Like, I literally cannot. And I think that's important for people to recognize. Like, you have to know your strengths. So I have people who can. And, you know, in, at the school and they're teaching this stuff. It's pretty nice. Yeah. It's open now. It's open and available. We're actually running a special now. So if you wanted to come in, anybody wanted to come in, this is the perfect time to, to take a look and see what SFA has. There's a couple of free classes you can take to see what the style is like. We have three different ways to be in the class. You can either sign up with an annual men membership and pay like everything up front. And if you did that, you get one month free. We have... A second membership type, it's a monthly, you pay. And we also have an a la carte membership or a la carte you know, way to buy. So each class you can buy individually if you'd like. If you buy membership and become a member of SFA, you can get your access to a speaker series, which is, there's several of us who teach outside of academy. Like I teach at a community college, two universities and a community college. And several of the instructors teach 
at universities as well. We sometimes end up speaking at these academic conferences. So we're, we're giving knowledge out at these conferences that people are not hearing you know, on a day-to-day basis. So some of the speaker series things are covering that information. So other things cover, you know, some things to remember, you know, things to think about when you're writing X, whatever. And that's covered in the speaker series section. And that's only accessible to people who have memberships. So that, you know, there's a benefit or privilege to membership, if you will. So you only, you're the only ones who have access to that sort of content. So yeah, it's fun. That's really cool. Did you mention where to find that on the web? No, I'd like to though. Speculativefictionacademy.com. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? That's really hard because there's a holiday for everything now. (laughs) There's a holiday for everything. I mean, like pizza day, national pizza day. Give me a break now. I mean, I'm all for pizza, but really? I don't know. So, all right, I'm going to say psychological horror day because we have women in horror you know obviously black history month we have women's month it's also women in horror month but it's women i think this is march this is the month and there's no psychological horror month so let's dive in because like i said before i feel like people it's psychological horror authors and quiet horror authors are sort of overshadowed by the larger the overarching subgenre you know it just horror becomes the thing and you really don't look and see any of anything else unless it's a slasher or you know your your traditional monster so if we're going to use a month for what it's intended for to celebrate a specific thing right then i would say psychological horror month and in that month i would of course include myself right but there's a lot of people (laughs) that i would also include like ira levin's work is psychological horror rosemary's baby baby she was made to feel like she was imagining it all the devil came to her and people were like what are you talking about you know (laughs) psychological horror to a t as is stepford wise same idea what they're doing what Eh, you're you're being silly (laughs) stop being hysterical you know that kind of thing I think that that style of writing doesn't get as much notoriety as it should so if I were picking a a holiday that would be it National Psychological Holiday since we're pitching what day (laughs) would you suggest it be well okay I mean you know look it's me I'm saying it right so how about it could be my birthday and we could call it that. <laughs> February 4th would be just fine. Just fine. It's a perfect day for a lot of things. So <laughs> I'd be fine with that. And it is done. <laughs> All right, then. I'm going to mark that in my calendar. I'm going to put that on my banners, on everything. Elmarie Woods, Psychological Hard Day, February 4th. Celebrate with me. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in once again to Demond Does. And if you could take just a quick second to dip on into where you downloaded this podcast app, where you get that sweet, sweet podcast action, and make sure you leave five stars, leave a review so more people can join the conversation. So, until next time.
see it, hear it, speak it, live. 